All right, we are this morning asking a question. You know, how many of you proud to be a fool? Not many of you. It's a fool for God in that realm. But we don't like the moniker of fool put upon us. But yet I'm asking us this morning, are we living like a fool? Saw a bumper sticker that said, life is too precious to waste. And certainly that is true, and certainly the Bible would agree with that thought. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, said this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. He says, be careful how you live. And the key word there is careful. And the opposite of careful, we know, would be careless. And so he's saying, don't be careless when it comes to life. Don't live like a fool. Why? Because your life is valuable. And that value can be gained or lost by how you live it. Literally, the, the word that's translated careful here comes from the Greek word blepite, meaning to see. And the idea is don't live life with your eyes closed. You know, if you had the ability to see and you just walked around with your eyes shut, bumping into everything, not enjoying life, someone would say you're a fool, all right? So he said, don't live your life with your eyes closed. God wants you to have a life uh, that you live with eyes wide open. Don't stumble through life as if life doesn't matter. Think it through. Know why you're here. Know your purpose uh, in life. He said, make the most of every opportunity. Learn to understand what it is that God wants you to do. And as a result, Scripture promises uh, that when we live carefully and when we make, take advantage of every opportunity, then God will fill in the rest. Every one of us wants, I think, if we would ask ourselves, do you want to make the best of every opportunity, you would say, yeah, that's what I, I want to do. And so Paul says, to do that, then you need to understand what the Lord wants from you. How many of you want to know what God wants from you? I think if we're thinking of our life and thinking of standing before God, we, we, yeah, I want to know what God is expecting from you. This morning, I want us to look at three questions. One, what does God, what does God want from my life? What does it take to get that, and why should I do that? So let's look at those. What, what does God want from my life? When you read through the Bible, I think you can summarize what God wants from us in just a couple words. God wants you. He wants all of you. He wants your entire life. There's not a single verse I think that you can find in all of Scripture that says that you can be a Christian and then live any way that you want to. It's just not there. God wants all of you. 
He's not interested in negotiating for 10%. He's not interested in your 50%. He's not even really interested in 99.9. He wants all of you. You see that over and over again in Scripture. Paul, writing to the Romans, said, Give yourselves completely to God, since you have been given you life. And use your whole body as a tool to do what is right for the glory of God. It's clear that God wants all of you. C.S. Lewis wrote, The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. And too many times in our culture especially, we live a life in which Christianity, our relationship with Christ, is just moderately important in the sphere of what my life is. It's either all or nothing, Lewis is saying. And that's determined by how we live. Christianity is either true or false. And if it is true, uh, then it deserves everything I've got. If it's false, then we're, we're crazy to even be sitting here this morning. Unfortunately, there are still a lot of people that like to re- try to ride the fence on this. And their excuse many times is, well, I really don't know what God wants. If I really knew, then maybe I would try. Deuteronomy chapter 10 says this, What does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So what does God want? God wants all. Your whole being. And yet we look at life so many times and we see it as a pie sliced up with the various interests of our life. I have my social life, and I have my career life, and I have my family life, and I have maybe my retirement life, and, and, and over here I have my spiritual life. And so this is my spiritual life, God, this is your part. And we live our life as if we're somehow, uh, uh, you know, really doing something for God because we have this spiritual component of our life. God says... That's a wrong idea. God says, I want the whole pie. I want to be in control of the pie. I want to be what each, I want to be determined what each slice of that pie is. God is not a God that is interested in bargaining with us. God, I'll I'll give you my family life, but I need to be in control of my business. I'll give you my health. uh, But Lord, I really got to be in control of my relationships. I'll give you my children, but I need my space. We can't bargain with God because God's not in the bargaining business. God says there's one bargain. I want all of you. Back in the Middle Ages, in the time of the Crusaders, the Knight Templar, and they would go off on these crusades to holy wars and back in the Middle East and all that. But before they would leave, they would be baptized. And when they would go down into the water to be baptized, they would go underneath the water, their head, their hands, or their head, their body, but their hands they would keep out of the water. Keep them up out of the water. And the reason was is, as they were going off to war, they knew that they were going to use those hands to 
kill many, many enemies and do all kind of things that weren't so nice. And so they say, God, you have all of me, but I'm in control of my hands. I'm in control of this, and I'll determine how I use them. How like us? We come to God and we say, Lord, uh, here I am. You can have everything that I am except for, and you fill in the blank. Maybe it's your wallet. Maybe it's how you spend your money. Maybe it's your, the music that you listen to. Maybe it's how you talk and the words that you use. Maybe it's your worldview. Maybe it's your relationship. Maybe it's your career or your lifestyle. And we're afraid to let go of certain things in our life uh, because we think that if I do that, God might change it. Well, let me just say something. Yes, when we release to God, God does change things. He does change our life when everything comes under his control. And many times we're afraid uh, that other people are going to look at us differently when God begins to work in our life. And I say, I hope so. I hope so that people do look at it differently. But I ask you this morning this question. What are you keeping out of the water? What are you keeping out of the water and say, God, everything but this? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, he didn't say that you should not serve God and money. He said, you can't. He said, it's impossible to serve both. What is he saying? He said, it's impossible to have two number one priorities. That's basically what Jesus was saying. You can't have two number one things. Now there's a lot of things besides money that become first priorities in one's life. Those things that push God off of number one. Those things that become the most important thing to me. It could be my work. It could be my friends. It could be school. It could be my relationships, my family, my hobbies. Uh, anything... Uh, that causes me to serve them instead of God. So what is first place in your life? Have you ever sat down and really thought about that? What is first place? Not, not what I say I want to be first place, but what is actually first place determined by your actions, determined by your choices? What's the number one goal in your life? Is it your career? Is it raising your family? Is it saving for retirement? Is it maintaining good health? Is it raising well-balanced children? Is that what's the most important thing? All of those things are good. There's nothing wrong with any one of them. And God, I think, approves uh, of all of those things. He just doesn't approve of any one of them being number one. God says, you'll have no other gods before me. And whatever is first place in your life is your God. And God in his word says, whatever's first above me is an idol. Thou shalt not have any other gods, any other idol. He says, I want to be number one in your life before everything else. At the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem with some guys, and 
as he was going along, it says he was talking to them. And this one man, Jesus, said to him, he said, I want you to follow me. I want you to be my disciple. And, and, and the man turned to Jesus and he said, okay, I'm in. I want to follow you. But Lord, let me first go and take care of some family matters. You see any contradiction in that statement? That little phrase, Lord, me first. Lord, but me first. If you're saying me first, you can't really say Lord. If it's about what I want to do, then you're saying you're not really Lord. You're not, Lord means to be in control, to be the absolute ruler. And, and, he, and he's saying, Lord, but me first. So you have to decide who is going to be first. Who's going to be Lord in my life? Me or God? Let me ask you another personal question. Where in your life are you saying me first? Lord, I really want to do all that, but I need to do this. Me first. Where are you saying, Lord, I'm going to live for you, but, but Lord, help me to Get the kids grown up and out of the house. God, I'm really going to be on fire for you someday, but let me first achieve financial independence so I can concentrate everything on you. Let me pay off my mortgage. Let me build a career. Let me get the kids through college. And then, Lord, you can be first. Where are you saying, me first? In Luke chapter 14, Jesus told the story of a certain king was preparing a great banquet. And he said he invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five oak yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now think about this. Here are three guys that were invited to sit down with the king and fellowship and eat at his table. And they all turned him down for something else. The first guy turned him down. He uses wealth as an excuse. Man, I, I got this property and I, I, you know, I got so many. I just got to go see and make sure everything's okay. The second guy says, my work, you know, I just got this new John Deere tractor and I'm not sure whether it's going to really plow my field, so I'm going to have to be out there testing it out. And the third guy just says, hey, my wife won't let me come. And he wasn't there. So here's the question. What, what excuse are you giving to God? Lord, I'll, I'll start tithing when? Lord, I'll help with Kid Blast when? Lord, I'll join a small group when? Lord, I'll share my faith with the fellow at work when? Let me tell you a little secret. If you would put God first in your life, he'll take care of all those other things. But if you put those other things first, you'll never get around to putting God first. Because Satan will always make sure there's something else that needs to be done before you can get to where God can use you. 
It's really not about money. It's really not about time or anything else. It's about do I trust God? Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do. And he will show you which path to take. You want success? Then put God first. What does God want to do? He wants your all. He wants you to trust him with everything that you've got. And what does he give us in return? He said, I'll direct your life. I'll help guide your life and work it all out. He wants your whole being. So what does God want? He wants all of me. What does it take to get there? What what does it take to make that happen? What does it take for me to have lived a life that isn't wasted? What does it take to truly become all that God wants me to be? Well, there's one word, and that word is discipline. Discipline. Now, that's not a very popular word. Um, We all like the results of discipline, but we don't like to discipline ourselves. But Proverbs said, whoever practices discipline is on the way to life. And you cannot have disciple without discipline. They are both from the same root word. uh, And if you want to be a disciple, then you're going to have to have discipline. Paul told Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, what is discipline? Discipline is basically delayed gratification. And discipline is doing what is difficult now so that I can enjoy the benefits of that later. Now, some of us are incredibly disciplined. Some of us are very disciplined about our work. We are conscientious. We, are, we give it all we have. Some of you are disciplined with your body. And you are very disciplined about working out, making sure that you eat the right and proper food. Some of you are very disciplined in your TV watching, and you would never, ever think to miss that favorite show. Most of us are very disciplined in our eating, aren't we? We make sure that we discipline ourselves every day to eat three meals and many things in between. We are disciplined. Do you know where you're disciplined in life? You are disciplined in the areas that you want to be. Okay? You are disciplined in the areas that you truly want to be. The things that are important to you, those are the things you get done. You say, oh, I never get done, get to do this. That's really important to me. No, it's not important to you, or you do it. If it was really important, that would be where you focus. So if you're saying there's things that are important but I don't do, it's, it's, it's not reality. We do what we want to do. We do what is important to us. What if you were as disciplined in your devotions as you were disciplined not to miss a meal? What if you were as disciplined in being in church as you were disciplined in watching that favorite TV show? What if you were as faithful in paying your tithe as you were in paying your car payment? What if you were as sacrificial in your missions giving as you were in making sure that you had money for vacation? 
What if you were as faithful in serving others as you were in making sure that you were at work every day? There's another word for disciplines, and it's called habits. Habits are simply disciplines, uh, and you are the sum total of your habits. That's who you are. You are the sum total of your habits. Habits are what you do over and over without thinking. Your whole life is designed and shaped and controlled and developed by your habits. So if you want to change your life, yes, you have to change your habits. Paul told Timothy, he said, spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness. God said, you can keep spiritually fit, but you have to work at it. There are exercises that you can do to help yourself be spiritually fit, just as there are exercises that we can be physically fit. Let me just mention two, and there's others that I'm sure God can help you develop. But two, we've been talking about this for the last month, letting go, letting go of things. And there is the discipline uh, of learning how to let go. Hebrews tells us, strip, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, and especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. There's two things that are going to hold you back. One is sin, and we know what sin is. Sin is disobeying God's commands. But what, what is he talking about this weight? He said we, 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 we should let go of the weights that drag us down. The weights are things that are not necessarily wrong. They're just not necessary. A weight can be all kind of things. It could be a relationship. It could be an activity. It could be your job. It could be a fear that holds you down. Uh, there's a thousand and one things uh, that could be weights in your life, those things that you allow in your life and you even embrace and grab a hold of, but they're not really necessary. In fact, sometimes they keep us from being the person God wants us to be. And God says, let's strip off every weight that slows us down. You and I know you can't say yes to everything. In fact, we live our lives by saying no to certain things. There's just some things we know, no, I can't do that. No, I can't be there. No, I can't get that. Each of us have to say no to good things from time to time. And one of the reasons why we find it so hard to let go of these weights is because many times we have found our identity in them. They become who we are. They become important because that's who I am, these things that I'm carrying around. Where do you find your identity? Is your identity in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Or is your identity in the weights that you have accumulated over time? Our lives today are so crowded. We have so many things to do and places to go and things to invest and things to pay for. And, and our life is just, you know, we, our calendars are full. We have so many weights that keep us, many times, from even spending time with God. We can't join a small group. We can't help with the various activities of ministry. We can't pay our tithe. We can't give to faith promise. Uh, we see all of these things that we know are important, but, you know, I have my weights, and I really 
You know, got to take care of those things. There is always a cost to putting God first. That's true. There's always a cost to putting God first. But the rewards are so worth it. Another exercise that can help keep us physically fit uh, is not just letting go, but then putting the real first things first. Jesus was telling this, or it, the, the Bible tells the story of Jesus and his friends, Mary and Martha. Find it in Luke chapter 10. And he would, from time to time, passing through Bethany on his way, especially to Jerusalem, he would stop and, 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 and spend time in their house, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and it says that, that one time he was there, and it says Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was planning and preparing. There was so much to get done. And you had to get that done before you could relax, before you could, you know, sit down and have a conversation with Jesus. And so she comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, doesn't it seem a bit unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Seems like a reasonable thing. But what was the problem? Mary had chose to spend some time with Jesus. Martha chose to work. Now, was that a wrong thing? No, it wasn't anything bad about getting a meal and preparing it. But she's upset because Mary chose that which was best. And the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset about all these details. But there's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary's discovered that. And we're not going to take it from her. What's he talking about? Jesus is saying, if it comes down to spending time with me, or even doing the dishes, it's not really a competition. Do we relate to Martha? I imagine many of you have your list for the week. The list that distract us from focusing on God. Things we got to get done. They, you know, I'm sorry, they just have to happen. We have to get them done. Our life becomes so busy that we don't even have time to stop to talk to Jesus. We have all the tasks, but let me tell you, every task is not of an equal value. And the, N, the NIV translation of this talks about Mary, and it says, Mary has chosen what is better. It's a choice. We say, well, I just can't get everything done in one day. Well, you're right. But let me tell you a secret. There are some things that are just not worth doing. There is a lot of things that we have included in our all list, but it's a list that is self-imposed. They're not really mandatory. They're not absolutely necessary, but we say, I've got to do this. And we do it at the expense of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But when we seek after him, the word says that he actually will give us the ability to put him first. Paul told the Philippians, he said, for God is working in you. And here's what he's doing. He's giving you the desire to do what he wants you to do. And he will also give you the power to do what pleases him. If we get serious uh, and begin to make the choice that we're going to put God first, uh, 
we'll find that God not only will give us the desire to do it, but he'll give us the power to begin to do what we know we should be doing, what we maybe at a level down deep say we want to be doing, and what we know God's word is calling us to. So what does God want? He wants all of you. He wants every part of you. That's what he wants. And what does it take to get there? It's going to take discipline. We can't be a disciple without discipline. So why should I do this? Okay? I know what God wants and I know what he wants, but why, why should I do it? The most important reason is because of the cross. Paul told the Corinthians, he said, He, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new, this, his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Christ died for you, Paul said. And that's important. It's so important that we don't live for ourselves anymore but we live for him. We don't live for our priorities anymore. We understand, come, we learn to understand what God's priorities are and begin to live for him. In fact, he said, you don't belong to yourself anymore. If you're a Christian, he said, you don't belong to yourself anymore. God has bought you for a very high price, the price of the blood of his own son. Too many times, even we as Christians, live like we own it. It's my life. Hey, this is what I choose to do. This is my life. And, you know, that's just the way it is. Paul said to the Romans, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. For all that he has done for you. It's another reference to the cross. What would your destiny be without the cross? Where would your hope be without the cross? Paul says again to the Corinthians, we beg you, don't squander one bit of this marvelous life that God has blessed you with, God has given you. Daniel Webster, the great orator of our early days as a country, was asked one time, what's the most important thought you've ever thought? Of all the things that you have written, into, what's the most important thought you've ever thought? And he said this, the most important thought that I've ever thought was that of my individual responsibility to God. The most important thing I can think of is that one day I will stand before God and I will give an account of my choice between my weights and God first. Between Lord and me first. That's the thing that I'm going to have to wrestle with all through life because one of, the day, one of these days is going to happen. The most important thing I can think of is my responsibility to God. There was a man who was probably used by God more than any other person back in the 19th century. He was a layman. He was not an ordained clergy. His name was D.L. Moody. And one day he came across these words. The world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man 
who was fully consecrated to him. Those words changed his life forever. D.L. Moody is a perfect example of a person whose availability was far greater than his ability. By some people's standards, he didn't have much ability. He's a picture of what happens, though, when a person uh, links up with God and he allows God to control him. D.L. Moody was born back in 1837 in Northwich, Massachusetts, and he was born into a very poor family, and early on, and his father was at the age of 41, his father died, and left his mother with several children. And he and his brothers and sisters were raised by this single mom, and, and their poverty was so great that when the creditors came, uh, they, they took everything. They even took the firewood out of the fireplace uh, as payment. And they were literally left with the clothes on their back, and yet she took them to church. They'd go to church, and they would go to Sunday school. And when she would take them, to take them, they were so poor that she was afraid they'd wear out their clothes and their shoes. And, and so she would make her children walk to church in their bare feet. And when they got in sight of the church, they'd put their socks and shoes on so they wouldn't wear them out walking back and forth to church. He was incredibly poor, but he became, as he grew up, a very successful businessman. He was a shoe salesman. And he was the number one shoe salesman for the whole East Coast. He got involved in church and church life. One time he was asked to speak. And he got up to speak. And after he was done, uh, one of the deacons approached him and critiqued his delivery this way. He said, Mr. Moody, I think that you can best serve God by remaining silent for the rest of your life. Another guy told him, he said, Moody, he said, I was offended by your poor grammar. And Moody looked at him, he said, yes, I have poor grammar, I grant you that. And, and I can imagine you have very good grammar. Oh yeah, he said, I, I have good grammar. He said, well then what are you doing for God? And those words came into his life. The world has yet to see what God will do with and for, through and in and by the man who is fully consecrated to him. And he began to ponder that. And he said, you know, it, it, it says the man. And he, he, he looked at it and he said, it doesn't say that you have to be a smart man. It doesn't say a learned man. It doesn't say you have to be a great man. It just says a man that is fully surrendered to God. And so as he began to contemplate it, this was his response to it. He said, I intend to be that man. And D.L. Moody, a layman, became perhaps the most powerful influence for God in the 19th century. In his lifetime, this unlearned shoe salesman shared the gospel way back then with over a hundred million people that he spoke to. He lived by this motto, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Don't live like a fool. Anything less than this is, is really to live like a fool. 
Paul says, be careful how you live. Live wisely. And if you do, God will take care of all those things that we struggle and fuss and worry and fret about. Let go of the weights so that we can cling to Christ first. Don't try to say, Lord, but me first. It has to be Lord or nothing. And that's what he's calling you to, and that's what he's calling me to this morning. Will you stand with me? As we close in prayer, maybe God's been speaking to your heart and maybe you'd even like to, as we close this service, come and bring some weights and lay them here, take them off. Maybe there's something God's been speaking to you about. We certainly welcome you to do that if you would like to just step out as we pray. But I hope that each of us will take this message home and allow the Holy Spirit to preach the truth of it anew and a fresh in our hearts throughout this week. What am I putting first? What am I holding up out of the water that I say, God, everything but this? Because God's saying, it's not really negotiable. You're either with me or you're not. Too many times we're trying to ride that fence and all it does is create misery. Surrender it to the Lord. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father God, we go through life looking around and finding so many pretty things, so many things that we think are satisfying and will fulfill us. We grab a hold of them and we put them in our knapsack and we carry around these weights, weights of good things, weights of things that you know, in and of themselves, not that bad. But before long, we find that these weights keep us from really putting you first. And Lord, that's what we're wrestling with this morning. I just pray that you would search our hearts, that you would help us not to be satisfied with the knapsack of weights that we cling and hold on to, but that we will let go of every weight as well as the sin that so easily besets us and that we would be able to walk in the fullness of relationship with the God who died on the cross for our sins that paid a huge price so that we could belong to him the Lord help us to embrace that help us to become sold out for Jesus we ask in your holy name Amen